This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing and Renthal Street Components. With over 800 street fitments for handlebars, bar mounts, clip-ons, brake pads, chains and sprockets, check out renthal.com. Welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. Steve English, Neil Morrison and Adam Wheeler on the show today. And it's a little bit of a treat because the three of us are actually sitting together for, well, it's the first time since I'd imagine about April where we sat down. I was in Barcelona as well. But Adam, it's good to have everyone off a Zoom call and uh, sit around, cup of coffee, a little bit of a chat. Yeah, thanks for gracing the city of Barcelona again, Steve. It's nice to have you here. And to get started again with MotoGP, because we've had a little bit of a break. Um, Neil's looking nicely relaxed and, and ready to go again. I'm sure he's uh, vibed about the prospect of Moto2 FP2 once more. Yeah, I have to say, Neil, you're looking nice and chilled and relaxed. I'm presuming I look absolutely ridiculous after just getting off my flight from Argentina. I'm pretty tired and jet-lagged after it, but uh, at least uh, got a couple of days before the action in San Marino. Exactly, Steve. Yeah, it's going to be a busy couple of weeks couple of well yeah months essentially it's always mad but around the end of the season getting deadlines and stuff finished for certain magazines and, and the like so um yeah be nice to have a week off and just sort of uh, recharge the batteries and get ready for it um unlike yourself who is as you just mentioned straight off the plane obviously enough though you've got your work done for adam already at this stage clearly clearly well you know how, how do i write about something that hasn't happened yet well Say, so, well, we've been doing that for years at different times just to make sure we were able to get out for the sushi and the pizzas down in Misano. We'll say one thing, there is a really good sushi restaurant in Misano that has tended to be the, the favorite stopping point for most of the Superbike paddock when we've been there. You've just got off the plane. I mean, do you, did you like going to Argentina? Is it actually a decent place for Superbike or are you a little bit kind of, well, thank God that's out of the way? I'll be honest. I love Argentina and I love the San Juan round. I've done Termas for the GP and it's, that that's a bit on the limit for me but uh you know there's no rabid dogs running around the streets of uh, san juan instead you're in the middle of the wine producing region for argentina you've got the andes mountains to one side you've got the desert to the other you got decent racetrack in the middle of it a, a really good facility in san juan as well we stay in nice hotels it's not that difficult to get down to you know i was a bit like neil was whenever he was going over to america for for coda where you're thinking like god i wonder what it's actually gonna be like sitting on a flight for 14 hours with a mask on and turns out it's grand not too bad what um i mean i saw on social media there was like sandstorms coming across the circuit pre-event is it it's kind of similar to the sour a little bit in terms of the way the environment just affects the asphalt or not well to be honest the sandstorm was the most interesting thing that happened all weekend because we could, we knew it was coming We've been told, you know, between two and four, the sandstorms rolling in and uh, the wind picked right up. It was 50 mile an hour winds. It blew over one of the tents in the in the paddock as well. I think it could have been for like one of the manufacturers for their display. So they ended up taking away the tent and just having everything out in the open then for the rest of the weekend. But when the wind picked up, you knew that the storm was coming in and uh, obviously enough, you still wanted to go out for a little track walk, have a have a, a look around. We hadn't been there for a few years. So myself and one of the lads, Charlie from Alpine Stars, went out to have a walk around the track. And we were leaving pit lane and we were thinking, oh, are we going to get around in time? You know, it's four kilometers. So you know roughly how long it's going to take to walk the track. But you're looking at, you know, to your right, the mountains starting to disappear. And you're thinking, right, let's just go for it. What's the worst that happens? And then we actually thought like, oh, it's not too bad actually because there's Scott Redding heading out as well. And it was Scott going out with Gio, his crew chief, and Fausto, his electronics engineer. So you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, Gio and Fausto are, you know, they're smart lads. They're not going to do anything to put anyone in peril by being out in the middle of a sandstorm. And it turns out the end of the back straight, the mountains fully disappeared, the paddock disappeared, the grandstand disappeared, and suddenly we were right in the middle of the sandstorm for the second half of the lap walking around. And uh, it was oh, it was crazy. You couldn't see anything more than 10 meters in front. Well, because um, Superbike, just, I know we should be talking about MotoGP, but Superbike has one round to go, Steve. Was it 23 points between them, or is it more between Top Rack and Jonathan Ray? What's the distance now? in the standings 29 points 29 points right yeah, okay point, and then uh, three races to go on a circuit that no one's ever been to so in theory it should be kind of done but it's not really is it 
Well, the top rack's your favourite, obviously enough with the advantage and the way that the season's gone. But you're going down to the wire. You're going down to the last race. You're going up against for Crescent, their first time going to the last race of the year, trying to win a championship. For KRT, they did it three times with Sykes. He won one of them. They did it six years in a row with Ray. He won all of them. So they're the team with the experience. This is their 10th title fight in a row. Yeah. And uh, they know how to get across the line. But uh, Top Rack also just doesn't seem like a rider that is going to be phased by it. And I think that's been the, the most interesting thing because Top Rack can, can win, it, win it at the Super Bowl race probably you know that could yeah. that that's more than likely whenever he'll have that chance to win it and if that's the case it'd be really interesting to see if he gets across the line in the super pole race to do it because if it goes to race two and top rack only needs to pick up a couple of points he'll be the only rider in the world that won't go out just to pick up you know a safe three or four points he'll go out to try and win the race and you could still end up with a big battle at the front even though the championship could easily be won by top rack. I think it could be a really interesting last round. Do you reckon it'd be a little bit hollow if, like, he drops the ball and Ray wins it again? I mean, because he's undoubtedly been one of the standout races on the international scene this year. I think it would be really unfortunate for top rack because he hasn't made a mistake up to this point. He's had four mechanical failures or four technical issues that have been out of his hands, and it would be a shame if he ended up losing the championship. But if he lost it and Ray won it on the balance of how the season's been the race we've had all the way through the year you, you couldn't fault either of them you couldn't have any complaints about it I think it's been the best race and we've seen in a long time it's a season that you've been involved in and known that you were looking at something that's going to be remembered for a long time it was a bit like in MotoGP 2015 for me and Neil it was Neil's first year on the road and you're suddenly in the middle of an incredible season. You, know, you had Marquez and Rossi and Argentina and Aston, and then obviously Sepang. You had loads of stuff all the way through that season. And that's what this year has been like in Superbikes. And we've been lucky because we've had Kawasaki, Ducati and Yamaha really competitive pretty much all the way around the season. So this has been one of those seasons where three different bikes, three different riders have always been able to get to the front. And you don't tend to get a lot of years like that. We're having the same sort of thing in MXGP at the moment where, you know, 13 rounds into the season, there's only three riders split by 15 points. And so far, there's been a maximum of 650 to win. So when you look at it like that, it's, it's kind of incredible. These guys are so close, really. And it has been through one person winning, maybe one or two, three races, then dropping the ball or having some bad luck. And it's just been swinging backwards and forwards all season. And comparatively, you'd say MotoGP has been... Uh, I wouldn't say dull by any means, but certainly a little bit more less dynamic than Superbike and Motocross. But, uh, you know, Fabio does have his first match point, you know, to get the first cliche of the podcast out of the way. That's just what I was going to ask Neil, because obviously this being a season where Quattro has been really impressive, but MotoGP has been incredibly random all the way through the year. And we're going to go to Misano this weekend where we saw one of the more surprising results of the year when we saw Bastianini up on the podium. I think that perfectly encapsulated what we've got in MotoGP this year. It's a season where anyone can perform well on any given day, any given weekend. But it's because Fabio has been consistent all the way through that he gets to this stage where he can wrap it up. Exactly, yeah. He's been the most consistent guy all the way through the season. Uh, no one else has really been able to get that. Even Banyaya, who's been super impressive recently, has had some up and ups and downs. And we know that Ducati just has some really weak tracks around the middle part of the season. Um, and I think also the reason that we've had nine winners this year is just because you know Mark has come back and obviously is still some way off full fitness um still a bit ring rusty in terms of where he needs to be mentally um i think that that is that's had a massive influence on on the results as well and has allowed a lot more winners to come through because you know mark was fighting fit i think even with this bike this year um as bad as it is he would still probably be winning you know eight nine races on it um but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's two years in a row where we've had at least um, eight different winners, I think, in the, in the Premier class. So it's, it's, you know, unparalleled sort of randomness. And yes, I think the fact that we have so many competitive bikes on the grid now is a, is a big thing. But I also think Mark being far from his best is, is another big factor in that because that's kind of leveled it. He was the one guy who was head and shoulders above everyone else. And now we've got one guy who's a little bit ahead of the rest in Fabio. Um, and I think Peko, Mir... And Mark, even in his current state, are kind of round about that sort of level area um, just behind Fabio. 
Adam, I've got a big question for you just as we kick off the topics from Mizano. What are you actually going to call this weekend in uh, on track off-road? Are you going to call it Mizano 2? Are you going to call it the Valentino Rossi farewell round at Mizano? Are you going to call it the Grand Primera in Nolan, del Made in Italy, del Emilio Romano round at Mizano World Circuit, Marco Simoncelli? What was that last one against me? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the one that I'm going to put in whenever I've got a word count. I think you just need to, <laughs> yeah, I think you just need to go for GP Octo. Uh, or perhaps uh, Mizano 2, which would be the... Uh, well, GP Octo was the San Marino Grand Prix, not the Emilio Romano Grand Prix. Goodness, different sponsors. I'll go for Mizano 2. That's got to be the easiest thing. But the thing I'm thinking about, guys, is just looking at the weather forecast. I wonder if, um, you know, the bullets that Fabio's dodged in the last couple of races, when the, f- when the, the weather provision hasn't been too uh stable let's say whether you know he's actually going to get hit with some rain um we're entering obviously a phase in europe now where the climate you know can throw up some surprises more likely than say the depths of summer um and you know neil as we've seen before the yamaha hasn't been the strongest you know in kind of uh very low grip or kind of uh, intermediate sort of dry wet conditions um, if that comes up and, you know, considering Bagnaia's form already around Misano, there, there could be a bit of a surprise. Maybe it won't be done this weekend. Yeah, I mean, um, looking at the forecast, which is always a risky thing to do with this uh, current weather app that I'm using because it's been really quite badly wrong many, many times this year. But it's Neil set- does need to buy a new iPhone. Ad. This is possibly the oldest version of that phone I've seen in a long time. When you have to plug a weather vane in and it spins around when you're in the circuit, then maybe it's time to update. But, um, you know, you're, but to be fair, Neil, the, the weather app has been kind of more or less on correct, but just the timing's been off. Mm. I mean, I, I struggled. What circuit was it where we left uh, in the evening and it's, it was hammering down with rain? I mean, the Grand Prix had a narrow escape. I can't remember where it was now, but, um, you know, the, the rain did come in, just not in time for the MotoGP race. Yeah, and you're right about Fabio. He has dodged the bullet a couple of times this year where we've been expecting rain um, to arrive. I think it was the first Austrian race um, that was forecast, um, and it didn't come on, on the first weekend. Um, then also in Misano, the first time we went there, I mean, it was raining on and off all weekend, and we thought there was going to be some afternoon showers. They never materialized, and Fabio managed to get away because we know that the, the Yamaha is really quite bad in the in the rain it's been a couple of years where it's been like that um to be honest going right the way back i think to like 2016 2017 they've just not yeah 2017 haven't really had um, a good time of it um and uh, the ducati's stellar peco is pretty strong there as well so if it does rain on the sunday then you know fabio could be in for a, a long race and a tough weekend um but looking at the weather app at the moment it says yeah some week um some rain throughout uh the weekend on friday and saturday uh, but Sunday should be dry also, pretty interestingly. it's The temperatures are well down what they were last time we went there um, in September. We're looking at, you know, um, afternoon temperatures of 16 degrees, which for normal Mizano running is is quite low. So um, you wonder whether those lower track temperatures could play into the Yamaha's hands if it's dry. I have to say, I'm, I'm a Fabio fan. I think the hype has been justified after his first season where you kind of thought, you know, has he just had, is, is he an impact player? You know, has he made the, the bond with the, the right bike at the right time? Um, I do wonder that. I mean, this, this is the first time he could be crown world champion. France is first in the premier class, of course. You know, if it was the Fabio of 12 months ago, I'd say there's a chance he could, you know, have a bit of a, a meltdown, um, you know, in this kind of situation. But throughout this season, he's shown he's been able to cope with the adversity of freak situations as well as some of his toughest rivals. So um, in a way, for me, it would be a surprise if he doesn't get it done this weekend. I would say that it would be a surprise if he wins it this weekend, just because you look at um, Banyaya's form at this track. He's, you know, he's, he's kind of made this one almost his own over the last two years. He would have had two straight victories if he hadn't chucked it away in the second race we had at Mizano last year. Um, and, uh, you know, the amount of time that him and his VR46 colleagues do around that track on Ducati Panigales is, is quite notable. Um, and he's just, you know, his riding style seems to be perfect for, for parts of the track, um, especially those fast rights at the end of the back straight he just seems to be really really strong there um yeah fabio mentioned in the, the last race afterwards he was thinking he might have a chance of passing peco into turn 14 but he saw the 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 angle the lean angle he was able to hold through those three turns and just thought you know what forget about it so um 
So yeah, I would be surprised if Fabio wins it this weekend. But generally, you know, I think uh, he's he's got one hand on it for sure on the on the crown, um, and it would be a, a meltdown of quite epic proportions for him not to win it from here. But I would be surprised if he does it this weekend. Yeah, fifty-two point lead. So if Pekka wins, he keeps himself alive at least for another couple of weeks before we go to Portimao. But for this weekend as well, just before we take a break on the show, Adam, I wanted to ask you about what we're going to see in that battle with. The Ducatis, as Neil said, they've got a lot of experience at the track. The bike goes well there. Last time we were there, we obviously saw that there was a lot of Ducatis, could be fast. That could play a key role in taking points off Fabio as well. Yeah, you have to wonder if there'll be some sort of uh, company-wide policy coming into this race, Steve. Uh, you know, with Bastianini taking that, that great finish on the podium like he did last time out. Uh, Jack Miller having a technical issue. Um, you know, it's the, like, like Neil said, the Desmos Adici is uh, particularly strong at this place. And uh, you'd have to imagine there might be an internal memo or an email going through the team saying if Bagnaia is in front, he's got the pace, then let him go. But then, you know, it's only been a couple of weeks since we were in Mizano for Mizano 1. Uh, will the temperatures be a bit lower? Will the track maybe be a bit dirtier? There's a, you know, some factors here that, you know, could shake things up a little bit. I mean, I think it's still presumptuous to say there's going to be another Bagnaia disappearance. Yeah, one of the, the the funny quotes from the the first race at Mizano this year was Fabio was saying in the first couple of laps all he could see was red because he was just being attacked left, right, and centre by Martin Miller was up there running pretty fast times in second before he had some issues with his rear tire. Bastianini was sensational, and had he qualified better, could maybe have even been running with Bagnaia and Quadraro at the front towards the end. Um, so yeah, there's there's a, there's four guys that you definitely think could be fighting at the front and. Personally, I'm most intrigued to see how well Bastianini can do because he was brilliant there last year. I thought he was sorry, brilliant there last time out. He was great in um, he was great in Austin. There was a, a really cool photo of um, of the, the the first lap coming to an end in Austin by our colleague Cormac Ryan Meenan, and uh, you see just how far back Bastianini was in the first lap. He was like you know 13th or something like that. He comes through and finishes sixth at a track that he's never ridden on a MotoGP bike. So coming to Mizano, his best track. I mean, I'm intrigued to see whether he can actually, you know, be fighting at the front. And don't forget, we haven't really seen the Martinator in the in the sort Please of the don't say that, <laughs> in the cut and thrust the battle. I mean, he's he showed he's been fast enough. Um, I mean, he kind of spun out pretty early on in Mizano one, but if he kind of keeps it on two wheels, then he could be another factor. It is a horrendous nickname. I'm going to just get my points across as usual about the Martinator. As impressive a rider, rider as Jorge Martin is, it's not a good nickname. We're going to take a break on the Paddock Pass podcast. We're going to come back and talk about Valentino Rossi and his last home race. Fly Racing believes that our most important obligation is to provide the highest performing products to riders worldwide. Offering both on- and off-road products for every price range, Fly Racing is committed to reshaping expectations. Fly Racing revolutionized the off-road world with the Formula Helmet, featuring Rion technology. Visit flyracing.com and at flyracingusa on Instagram to learn more about the innovation that can keep you protected in 2021. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. We're looking forward to Mizano too, because that's what we're going to call it now, Ad. Like you said, we'll just go nice and just simple. Just give it on one it. more try, Steve. Go on one more try. Okay, well, we'll go with the Valentino Rossi farewell round because we're going to talk about Valentino. Now, this is going to be his last home race. Obviously, Mizano is his proper home track from just down the road, but this is going to be a, a pretty special weekend for everyone at Mizano. Yeah, you'd hope it go better than Mizano 1. Um, if my memory doesn't fail me, I think there were two crashes, at least two, through free practice um, and qualification. But, uh, you know, he finished outside of the point 17th, 33 seconds away from the winner, Steve. Uh, I think, you know, for Rossi and his, his legion of fans, especially those from Italy, uh, especially those who routinely go to Mizano, who, those who are making a special trip to Mizano this time to see him, I, I, it's, it's gone past results now. I don't think they're turning up to see him take any particular kind of finish. Um, it's more just about seeing the man in action. Can you think of any parallel for you in your time watching football or any other sport where it was just seeing the player that mattered to you? I mean, if you apply it to something like football, then it's not necessarily about seeing particular athletes at their peak, but the fact that you can say, I've been to see, say, Eric Cantona, or I was able to see 
uh, Real Madrid in the Galacticos era and Zidane, you know, just stroking the ball around, you know, it was not really, like you say, it's not about seeing athletes winning or excelling, even though that is something special in itself and quite inspiring. But uh, yeah, I think it, there is something to say about, you know, taking your kid to Valentino Rossi's last race, whether that's going to be in Italy or it's going to be in Portugal or in Valencia. And, you know, I kind of made a post to you guys in the WhatsApp group last weekend when I was in Madrid for the Grand Prix of Spain in motocross. Um, and the place was full. And I think if we see anything kind of like they, they were cheering Jorge Prado there, who is right in the in the beginning of the, the prime stage of his career. So they, you know, the Spanish fans at last have kind of like an idol, the, the Grand Prix organizer Diego Munoz sort of summed it up to me. Um, you know, so they really got behind that. I mean, the, the motorcyclists and, and motorcycle racing fans in Spain don't have any shortage of heroes when it comes to Valencia, but I think there will be people making that pilgrimage to the Ricardo Tormo circuit for Valentino. And, uh, yeah, just which, witnessing the last kind of chapter of a, of, of a career that, you know, will mark the sport for generations, I think. Yeah, because, Neil, I think, like, the one thing, obviously, for you, you're in the paddock week in, week out. You've been able to see it now where crowds are increasing and obviously we've had a fly away out to Coda but there was no shortage of European tracks very keen to make sure that they were getting the end of season rounds especially whenever it looked like it was going to be more and more difficult to put the traditional end of season flyaways on and that's why we've got a second race at Mazzano we'll go back to Portimao as well tracks were willing to put up the funds because they know they're going to get a bumper crowd yeah yeah exactly um and i think we're not going to get a full attendance here at Mizano this weekend but um what 30,000 i think is the uh is the number of people that will be allowed in on uh, on sunday you would imagine there'll be at least 30 well there'll be the 30,000 there um this is a big event i mean you know rossi's just from down the road essentially uh, to Rulia. um you know there, there's a massive industry i think around people coming to Mizano for the grand prix and then doing the pilgrimage up to Tavulia to have a pizza in the Rossi restaurant and, you know, see where everything is there. He's won three times at the track. You know, it's historically been a great track for Yamaha. Um, he nearly got on the podium at the first race at Mizano last year, was just a hair's breadth away from, away from uh, achieving that. And he would have done that with Morbidelli and, and Bagnai. You know, it would have been the, the VR46 Academy podium, which he just narrowly missed out on. But, you know, I don't expect any any uh heroics i don't think from rossi just at the moment is you know his results have just been tough but it'll still be an emotional time you know final race in italy um of him racing there and um i mean you can't say he wasn't trying adam mentioned he had two crashes i think at the last Misano race and i think one of those was through one of the fast rights at the end yeah at the end of the back straight so um you know he's still he's still pushing on um but yeah they just the results aren't really forthcoming so um but yeah it's going to be a, a big weekend for that and also you know 10 years i think it'll be uh um race day will be 10 years to the day since marco simoncelli um was tragically killed so you know that'll carry its own sort of uh, weight as well in terms of nostalgia and, and and ceremony and stuff so yeah it'll be um it'll be an interesting interesting weekend as a fan, obviously, as well, Adam, for, for all of our listeners, Mizano is a special round. Like Neil said, you can go to Tavulia, you can do the, the full Rossi tour, basically. But have you actually gone up to have a pizza at the Rossi rest restaurant? I have not, Steve. You know, for, for all the... Mizano is about Rossi. There's nothing particularly remarkable about the circuit. Um, okay, the location is wonderful on the Adriatic coast. It's right next to the sea. But, you know, I mean, Mugello is the definition of, of MotoGP in Italy. For I'm going to be unpopular. I prefer Mazzano to Mugello. What? For all, all the people listening to this, uh, Neil and I are shaking our heads in disbelief. I'm sure, I'm sure that comes across 100% on the podcast. You're going to have to explain that comment now. Because Mazzano to go to for the race is so much more pleasant than going to Mugello. How do you reckon that? Because you stay down on the beach, you've got nice restaurants, nice gelato, five minutes away. So, uh, let's be honest, the only hassle is getting into the track through those... That's a big hassle. That's a big hassle in a normal Mugello weekend where there's massive crowds. You have to get up very early to get in. It's, you know... Steve, I thought you were a convert to the romanticism of racing, but I can see I'm wrong. I'd like the gelato more, mate. <laughs> But well, the circuits aside, I mean, what kind of incentive do we reckon there is for Valentino now? I mean, is it a case of just, you know, setting a personal best lap time? I mean, it can't be about results at this stage. Maybe it's just putting on a bit of a show somehow. Yeah. Having, a, having a personal battle for 11th place or something. You'd have to think at this stage it is just to get through the year. 
And I think he wanted clearly to hang on for another year and the hope fans would be back in the hope that those couple of flashes we saw last year, because I think it's easy to forget, he could have won two races last year. You know, Catalonia, he was battling out at the front, did really well in Jerez too, considering Jerez 1 was probably one of the worst weekends of his career. And he bounced back, got on the podium, a couple of other good results through the year. He was, you know, much more inconsistent than some of the other guys. You know, but this year he's just made that big step backwards. And I think that's where it's become more and more difficult to be able to to look at it and not think one year too long. Yeah, I mean, we have a common WhatsApp group that we occasionally post different bits and bobs and, and things that might be of interest in. And Dave Emmett, our colleague... Very that, much overselling the WhatsApp group for us, by the way, there. Yeah, normally it's uh, petty uh, petty chat and uh, <laughs> all sorts of rumour uh, rumor and, uh, and gossip in there. But yeah, Dave was messaging us last night, actually, and was just pointing out the 12 races Rossi finished before he had COVID-19. Okay, they weren't, you know, the best races of Rossi's career, but you're looking at all of them in the top 10 except one race. Uh, dry races, these all are as well, the 12 before you had COVID. Um, I think four fourth places, one podium, um, you know, a couple of eights, one fifth, one seventh. So, you know, not totally disastrous, but in the 12 races in the dry that he's finished after his positive COVID-19 test um, towards the end of last year, I mean, you've got 10th places, the best result, a couple of 12ths. And then 16th, 14th, 18th, you know, it was a very clear distinction of where it went from average results for Rossi to being, you know, diabolical. The, the theory being that COVID has had to play in the results? Or? I mean, he said that it hasn't. He was asked about this before the summer break and he said that, that that's not been an issue. It hasn't had any long COVID symptoms. But you wonder just that, that time away, that time off the bike, uh, it's, it, it's tough. But, you know, clearly something has has happened there for it to be such a, a big drop-off. He just hasn't really found anything since yeah. he came back. Well, that was the, the main question that him through the debriefs through the first half of the season, like basically what is going on? You know, why are you not competitive? Um, and aside from, you know, making comments about I think the Michelin rear tyre, um, you know, there was not a great deal of, of explanation. So it's, uh, maybe he just got fed up with journalists asking about that and then also the, the nature of his uh, team sponsorship for 2022 that made him think, right, bollocks to this, I'm off. It's uh, gone well as well for uh, the Merck F1 team in Formula 1. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Aramco going forward. I think what I'm, I'm quite keen to see this weekend though is just if we get any sort of a flash, I think it'd be it'd be nice if even if it's in if it is a wet weather session where you get them up to the front and there's half a chance because I remember going there in 2014 and it's one of my it's one of my my better memories of being a, a photographer and a journalist in MotoGP because when Rossi won races there was always a special buzz around the paddock and I remember whenever he won in 2013 at Aston you kind of thought like oh that, that's nice at least he's been able to win again and then he won. Uh, he won again a few times in 14 and you really thought like all right well now he's actually properly kicking on and Mizano was one of those occasions where you thought like you know what he's still got it and he can still he can still cut it at the front and, and I remember that race was one of those ones where you came away from afterwards thinking like oh yeah I've seen something special and it was it was great that it was in Mizano like so I'm interested to know what for both of you guys is like a, a memory of Rossi in those whether Mugello or Mizano rounds sure unlike Mizano the Mugello race Steve was actually uh you know where he took pole position I mean that was something pretty special I can remember in the media center that day was it 2018 no there was a couple of seasons I think where he was on pole yeah. he took he took pole kind of unexpectedly and then you know there was you could feel there was a, an urgency in in having to communicate the fact that Rossi was on pole at Mugello uh and then the next day of course his engine blew during the race and his body language just seemed to melt and say everything about you know, he he almost seemed to uh, exude the, the the fact that that was his last real chance to win at Mugello. Um, you know, and that was uh, probably one of the most heartbreaking moments I think for him and his fans. Uh, yeah, a couple of times going to MotoGP races as a fan uh, before working in the championship. Um, two of them were some of his great wins. I was there for his 2008 victory at Misano as a fan and participated in the track invasion afterwards, which is great. Um, you didn't let off flares because they're not they're not supposed to be done anymore. No, you? of course that wasn't me. A at Northern all. Irishman not setting fires. No one's going to believe that. <laughs> uh, it was quite impressive on that occasion, though, because we were sat on the bank uh, at Curvoni, essentially in the back straight, and um, yeah, the bikes went around. 
uh, the cooldown lap, and then some lad just like walked up to the fence, and in his backpack, he just took off his little satchel and opened it up, and he had these wire cutters, and just basically yeah, cut the cut the fence down, and everyone barreled onto the track. So that was cool. Uh, and then also, I was at Sepang in 2010, um, the the day that Lorenzo wrapped up his first MotoGP championship, but Rossi sort of spoiled the party, and he came back from I don't know where he was in the grid, He's somewhere he was like 13th or something on the grid, and he just cut through the field that was pretty special as well i have to say well i tell you what we also obviously have one last chance for a saturday helmet reveal this weekend and i'm sure everyone's going to go through like their best helmets that they've seen ross use i'm going to i'm going to say the worst one and the absolute worst one was that horrendous pasta helmet at Magello. neil what about you what was the worst one that's a good question um maybe the one that we just had the, the sort of pink bow um, for you know the the baby that's coming, I mean, it wasn't. God, he's heartless. He's heartless. Oh. I mean, it wasn't great, was it? Um, I tell you what. Between everyone suddenly thinking that I'm the worst man in the world for saying that the Mizano round is worth going to, Neil saying this, Adam, you've got to save face for the Paddock Pass podcast. Now, to be honest, Dave, I mean, I I've kind of erased the helmets from my memory because I I did some work for some years uh, for Monster Energy, you know, creating content, and the, the Rossi helmet reveal was hyped uh, enormously, um, rather too much. So I think it was something that I didn't particularly like by the time I had to write about it or you know find out information about it. There was a, there was one a few years back, Sweet Home Mizano, Blues Brothers one. That was a bit rubbish. It was a bit rubbish, except for the fact that Blues Brothers is a fantastic film. Yes, I'm not sure that that justifies it. To be fair, Steve, but I would I would say there's been a couple of decent ones. I mean, the, the hey, people... I'm not saying there hasn't been some decent ones. I'm just saying there's been some absolutely crap ones as well. I mean, and the story that you know of how him and Trudy came up with it is yeah. quite cool. So I think that that yeah. kind of lasts. Viagra one last year was good. Um, so that was funny, and uh, the you know the Pink Floyd one, Wish You Were Here, was a good one as well. Mizano a few years back. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a, a decent segue then as well to our last topic before we take another break in the Paddock Pass podcast. Obviously, we're at the Marco Simoncelli circuit. Neil, like you said, this weekend's going to be 10 years to the day since Marco's death. And I'm always quite intrigued just to see what everyone's actual thoughts on Marco was as a writer. We've, we're 10 years removed now from his death. And I think there's obviously been a lot said about his style and how his potential was really high. But Adam, when you look back at his career, what what do you think of it? I mean, I know the FIM are planting a tree or something to commemorate him as well this weekend. And, you know, his father, very kind of, uh, what's the word? Um, I'll say elegantly, but, you know, with a lot of dedication towards his son, carries on running a team in Grand Prix. Uh, but, you know, for me, in terms of remembering Marco, Steve, I, I, there is a tendency to, you know, overdwell on these things i think you know he was a very exciting rider um undoubtedly a personality which you could say that MoGP was embracing at the time you know almost needed it to a degree uh you know was he overrated i mean he was a world champion in the 250s um he only did what a season and three quarters in in MotoGP. a couple of podiums never won um I, I i mean some of those press conferences where the likes of jorge lorenzo and, and danny pedrosa pretty much lambasted him in, in public um you know and accused him of being dangerous and a bit of a clown i mean that was uh like it or i mean it was pretty outrageous but you know, it did bring a, a degree of drama and, and some controversy to, to the to the series you know not everybody's being nicey nicey and buddy buddy um and that was kind of compelling uh to watch but I do wonder whether Simoncelli really had the character um, to be a factory, a full factory rider leader. You know, if, I mean, would you have imagined him riding for someone like Repsol Honda? It's, it's debatable. Um, you know, would he have been one of those Kevin Schwantz characters where he undoubtedly had the speed, won a lot of races, but just didn't deliver the, the consistency or the championships? That's the big question mark. Um, you know, he's been inducted into the Mosey GP Legends Hall of Fame. So, you know, undoubtedly a good rider, a talented rider, but, you know, he had his flaws. Pick up on what Adam said there, that he was a character in a time that MotoGP was going through one of its worst spells in terms of quality racing. 800 zero was generally bad uh, for racing. Even in the years where we had exciting championships, the racing was generally pretty poor. The only thing I'll, I'll cut across you there, Neil, that we did, you did have the so-called aliens. I mean, that was the prime era for that with Pedrosa, Stoner, Lorenzo, you know, at, at arguably one of his peaks. So you had the, ta- like you said, you had the talent, but you never really had the, you know, the the substance. Yeah, they weren't, they're, you know, all 
great riders, no doubt, but maybe not the most charismatic guys or the guys most comfortable in the spotlight. Whereas he was just the guy that exuded sort of, uh, yeah, cool, I think, um, and charisma. And yeah, he didn't really care about what they thought of him, which I always thought was quite good, uh, quite interesting. I mean, I never had the chance to, to work with, uh, with Simoncelli or, or uh, you know, speak to him from a kind of journalist point of view, but I always liked that he was just uh, something different, someone that had that, like, I, I don't care attitude. Um, in a time when the racing was incredibly stale and the biggest characters in the sport were not necessarily the most outwardly interesting you know or dynamic um so i think from that point of view it was great and you know he died just as he was kind of at coming into his best spell really um i think that i agree with you i'm not sure how far he could have gone like could he have been a motor gp champion when the likes of lorenzo marquez don't know were around probably not but you know he was uh he was Beaten someone like Andrea De Vizioso, um on the same machinery um, towards the end of 2011. He had had two podiums, as you said. Um, Casey Stoner in his book was saying that um, he wasn't always convinced about Simoncelli's uh, ability um, or how far he could go until the second half of 2011 when he had to admit that he was actually riding really well for a guy who was only in his what, second year in MotoGP. So... Um, yeah, I'm not sure he would have been a MotoGP world champion, but I think he would have made the series a lot more in- entertaining and interesting um, in the years, sadly, after he, he passed away. I mean, Valentino Rossi seems like quite a gregarious sort of personality. I mean, you know, you imagine he has quite a big uh, contact book on his phone of people he can call up and have a chat with. I mean, he seems like a friendly sort of guy. Uh, but, you know, the fact that he was very buddy-buddy with Simoncelli maybe says a lot. Uh, maybe he saw some of that youthful verve that he had in him. Um, you know, maybe he saw someone that was even more kind of outlandish than he was, kind of fun-loving, uh, you know. And that also is part of the tragedy of the accident, you know, that, that Rossi was kind of involved. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it says something for him. Marco's, I think he's remembered um significantly in MotoGP and you know that I think that's quite enough really it's, uh, it's there's plenty of dedication towards his memory um you know although I did think some of the uh, the the fan media on social media last year in Austria were the big smash that you know somehow Marco was there to defend the fate of Valentino and Maverick Mignales was a little heavy-handed or hammy should I say well, to be honest, though, Adam, 46 plus 12 equals 58. But uh, the biggest thing is that uh, right now we're going to take an ad break on the Paddock Pass podcast. And when we come back after the break, we're going to look back or look forward to what we're going to see in the Moto 2 and Moto 3 classes. Renthal Street ultralight rear sprockets are CNC machine from an advanced aluminum, keeping rotating unsprung mass to a minimum. The integral hard anodized finish has a higher resistance to mechanical wear, which increases its longevity. Available for a huge range of motorcycles with options for a number of teeth and chain pitch. Use the Fit My Bike tool on Renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. And as promised, Dad, we're going to look to the main event, obviously, Moto2 and Moto3. They're the title championships that right now do look really finely poised. Fabio Quattararo might have his first chance of winning the MotoGP World Championship, but that Moto2 title fight's really interesting. Only nine points between the IO riders. Who would you rather be right now, Remy Gardner or Raul Fernandez? That's the big question. I think there's going to be more eyes on what Gardner has to do or will do in Mizano. Um, Fernandez has won three races in a row. Mizano won was right in the middle of that, that run that started in Aragon, uh, you know, and went through to, of course, to Austin. Three quite distinct circuits. So he's very much the man in form. Um, I think Remy's going to need some sort of reply to the form of his teammate, even though he's been extremely close and been posting those results as well. Um, you know, for the first time, I think the pressure's really on the Australian. It would be quite nice if we had an expert in the room about Moto2 and Moto3, but I suppose we'll, we'll settle for Neil and your input, Neil. But uh, Raul, obviously this season, like if you look back to last year, Adam had him as one of his top 10 riders on the entire paddock last year for his qualifying performances as much as anything else. This year, no worries, Adam. It was a good shout back then. And uh, this year, we've seen him kick right on and he's made such a big impression in the Moto2 class. Can he win the championship? 
Yeah, hundred percent. You can definitely win it. Um, and I think to answer the question you just asked, Adam, um, I would say you'd probably prefer to be in Raul's position as well because he's got the momentum. Also, just by virtue of Remy having led this most of the majority of the season, um, everyone has kind of been expecting him to to do it. And considering the the size of his lead after the the Silverstone race, I think he was like. Uh, in excess of yeah, forty points ahead. Um, you know, if he did lose it, it would be a disaster. Whereas if 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 Raul came second and just missed out in the championship, it would still be seen as a phenomenal season. Um, so yeah, um, I think uh, I think Raul can definitely win it. Absolutely, uh, the the recent run that he's been on has been exceptional, um, and they're so evenly matched but where Raul seems to just have the edge is a little bit in qualifying and then in those first laps Remy just seems to struggle a little bit in the first couple of laps you look back at the last three races and he's been getting beaten up on the first couple of laps he said that when he's got a full tank of uh, full tank of fuel and just with his extra weight he just really struggles in the kind of helter skelter craziness of the, the Moto, Moto 2 opening whereas Raul just seems to be able to get himself right at the front and just get ahead and that has been that has been the deciding factor in the last two races um, and, and Remy obviously you know got himself um, well yeah crashed out last time um, got a bit uh, yeah you could say a bit um, flustered almost uh, with, with what was going on with uh, with Cameron Bobia at the start of the America's GP so um, yeah I think I think Fernandez is in a, a great position to win it but I'm also really intrigued to see Remy he said after the, the last race okay let's defend him more attacking I mean if he's been defending the last couple of races you would say that it would be quite interesting to see what Remy you know just off the leash is going to be like because he's been riding I think with finishing in mind pretty much all season long um and uh, we haven't really seen him just go absolutely hell for leather all out. Um, so let's let's see what what happens. I mean, it's it's a it's a mouthwatering prospect. Obviously enough, Neil. It's also the second time we're in Mizano. So for some riders, like a rookie like Ayagori, you'd expect to see make a step forward from where he was a few weeks ago. This is a round where you expect Digia, Bezeki, Lowe's, Canet was strong there as well. There's going to be a lot of riders that are going to be in a position to take points off the championship contenders. And like you said, Remy keeps getting beaten up in the first lap the last couple of rounds. That's where it's going to be really difficult. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, the last time we went to Mizano, I mean, Kinev was on the podium, Lowe's was there. I think the top four were covered by 1.5 seconds. There was not really much in it at all. Uh, Bezeki, um, he told us after the last race that he had done his knee in in a training incident about a month and a half ago and that's been kind of holding him back so um you would imagine he would be a bit stronger this weekend around so yeah it, it could be if Gardner qualifies off the front row you would worry for him ever so slightly and just that thing now where he knows like you know what I can't really finish second uh, this isn't good enough anymore before it was like well it's not the end of the world if Raul wins and I'm second but now he's not in that position and, and you look at the tracks coming up Mizano Portimao, Raul's won there this year so far. Valencia, that was where he was on the podium twice last year as a um, Moto3 rider, and Remy doesn't like Valencia, so it's interesting. And also, I mean, Fernandez, I think, took his first Moto3 win as well in Portimao last year. Uh, so, it, yeah, like you say, you know, and that's in terms of strong circuits, then, you know, Gardner's arguably in a bit of trouble. But he must be stuck between... He won at Portimao last year too, though. I mean, he... He must be stuck between a rock and a hard place because if you do keep too defensive and you get swallowed up by that battle, say, theoretically behind um, Fernandez, then you're conceding points. But if you go on the attack, take a few risks and you bin it, then, you know, you go from being nine in front to possibly, I don't know, 15 behind. I mean, it's, it's quite a, a big swing. So it's... Uh, I think it's something he's going to have to feel on the day, but um, you know, I, I still hope he does it. I think on the balance of the whole season, then uh, he's he's shown the qualities needs to be a champion. Adam has consistently said that Remy Gardner would be the people's champion. Um, what about in Moto Three, though, boys? Obviously, Pedro Acosta at this stage. There's only one name you need to remember: that's Fanati. Romano Fanati, fourth in the world championship. Definitely out of title contention. Can Pedro Acosta win the championship? Neil? We're talking about who can win Mizano too, surely. I'm talking about the championship. I'm talking about the championship. If you wanted to host the show, you should have put your <laughs> put your name in the hat from the start, Ad. Neil, a 30-point lead for Pedro Acosta. This weekend's going to be crucial. It is, yep, exactly. Um, but 
I think um, I think Acosta's still got a, a good position. Foggy has made up some serious points. Um, you know, after the Austria race, I think he was in excess of 90 points back. Um, and he's managed to get that down to 30. He's definitely the form man. He's been on the podium for the last five races. Um, he's been on the podium in seven of the last eight. Um, whereas Acosta's only had, what, two wins in that time, two podiums. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, Foggy could definitely, can definitely win this weekend. But... Uh, I'm, I'm not hitting the panic button just yet. I think, you know, Acosta still um, has shown recently, even on his bad days, that um, there might have been one or two factors that have uh, that have held him back, um, such as the last time we went to Misano, where uh, he had some issues with his front tire. So, so yeah, actually, if you look at the uh, free practice um, performances in the last Misano GP, I mean, Acosta was really, really strong. So um, going back for a second time, I think uh, I think we could see a bit of a, sh- uh, a shootout between the two guys. Well, let's look at another thing then from Mizano One ad Romano Fanati, no points on the board from Mizano One. Can can he uh, keep it on the island this time? Obviously, crashed out of the lead last time. Well, I mean the amount of supremacy that he showed in the in the previous Grand Prix, Steve. I mean he has to be a favourite. I think you know previous winner of the round. The true, true. There's the no, well. I mean the reaction as well from both him and the team was. Uh, it was literally I've lost the lottery ticket kind of thing, you know. It was uh, pretty hardcore. But, you know, everyone's going to be looking at that white Husqvarna, I think, come from, you know, FP1. Uh, again, what conditions are we going to find in Mizano? That's another question. But, uh, you know, Finati, of course, coming towards the end of his Moto3 career, stepping into Moto2 next year. Um, I think we'll hear probably the, the new lineup for Husqvarna at some point over the weekend in Mizano. Um, so, yeah, it's the, the Italian, I think, has to be has to be one of the favourites. And then what happens in the championship will take place behind him. Neil, what about anyone else to keep an eye on this weekend, the Moto3? Uh, yeah, it's a good question, Steve. Um, Where's Garcia health, uh, healthy is one? Yeah, I guess Garcia coming back from his, uh, his kidney injury. Um, but yeah, you looked at the uh, at that first race and, you know, Foggy had it well won. Um, Antonelli was strong. Mino was strong. Adam's favourite rider. Um and, uh, you know, I think there was the likes of Darren Binder was up there, even though he just had that massive qual- um, practice spill. So I think, um, yeah, you would look at look at the, the kind of elder Italians of the class as uh, as men to, to keep an eye on, as well as Garcia um, and maybe Darren Binder. Um, but yeah, I mean, Guevara won the last race, first race. Also, um, uh, Artigas was, was pretty strong in the last race, wasn't he? Had he not uh, jumped the start, he could have been up there fighting for the win. So... Yeah, maybe we'll see something from the rookies as well. Anybody else you haven't mentioned yet? No, the, <laughs> the David Emmett tactic of covering the class. I, if Mino wins the Grand Prix, then I'll do the next podcast in my box of shorts. It's not a video cast, I. You're not, you're not giving out a much. Neil's got no air conditioning in this in this apartment. Bet you some predictable blue and white striped QPR specials. <laughs> well, I tell you what. Let's look at. Uh, moving on swiftly from uh, Adam's underwear. Uh, let's look at the MotoGP class as well. What are we expecting this weekend? Who's going to win an ad? I don't know. I'm quite liking Joan Mia. That guy has to have some sort of statement, you know, as an outgoing world champion. Um, I think, well, there's only been... The last Suzuki rider had a, had a, had a very good title defense as well with a lot of race wins. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's five podium, six podium finishes. Best result was second this year. Uh, you know, the, I think there will be some inquisition in the coming weeks over Mia's season. Um, you know, and also, unfortunately, I think some analysis of his title year in 2020, you know, was that just kind of like a freak occurrence, um, for the, for the Suzuki team and, and, and the Spaniard, uh, you know, Fabio Quasaro's got his shit together with the, with the factory team this year. And it's, um, he's been you know, and with the Ducatis also sorting out their their glitches from 2020, the Suzukis have been put into the shade a little bit. I think you can see from the efforts of Alex Rins, who's always been competitive for a race win at least, um, you know, the blue bikes have been off. So I, I think considering Mir's, um, you know, form and his fight and Mizano won, uh, I just wonder he might have some sort of statement purely even out of frustration just to try and put some kind of um, bookend on his uh, championship defense. Yeah, I was looking at this after Texas. Um, you know, Mir scored, I think his average point haulage last year was 12 points per race. This year it's 11.6. So he's under that, what he did last year. But he's not a million miles away. Um, and we know that Suzuki's pretty much stood still in terms of development this year. So I think... Um, 
on the whole, yes, it's been a little disappointing that he maybe hasn't even led a race. Um, but you think that you look at the fact that he's only qualified in the second row twice. Fabio's been on the front row every race bar one. So he's basically giving Fabio a two-row head start every single race weekend. You know, I think that's the, the long and short of it. If, if Joanne was starting from the front row every race, then we might have a, a slightly different looking championship. But um, I think he's done a pretty good job overall. Um, in, in the championship defence I wouldn't say it's a disaster and when we listen to something that Mark Marquez said at the last race when you're out of the championship fight there's just something you're missing in terms of concentration and absolute focus that you have when you're in a championship fight and everything is on the line you come into a race and uh, when you're out of that championship fight okay if I get a sixth place it's, it's not the end of the world you know whereas the mindset is definitely different when you're right at the front going for it. So um, I think we've gone off topic because you're asking for our predictions, Steve. I was, you? yeah. I wasn't looking for a topic, a discussion about Joao Amir, to be honest. The quick hit section of the Paddock Pass podcast, always living up to its lightning round. I'll say Peko. Well, I'm gonna, I, well, you asked for a prediction, I'm going to say Miller to win because I've said it for the last four Grand Prix and he's been so close to well, Why do we spend two minutes talking about Joao Amir? I think Mir's going to produce something, but Miller will probably take the win because he's overdue. He's overdue. And it's getting boring with the fact that I have to, you know, keep tipping him to win. Okay, so you're going to pick Miller to win. And then what's Pedro Chiabati going to do when Jack Miller wins? Yeah, we have Peko through, surely. Um, yeah, he's done it already. But, you know, it depends where Quattararo is. I mean, if he's in second, then he's going to say, you keep going, boy. I don't know. I just see Peko. Peko is the man to beat. I'm with Neil on this one. Um, definitely Ducati's obviously got that march on everyone else i'm looking forward to seeing which other ducatis are up at the front like neil said it's gonna be interesting if, Be if, if bestia is up there it's gonna be interesting to see if jorge martin's up there obviously johan zarko's gone off the boil we'll see if he can come back with something and this is the weekend where they need all those ducatis really strong so i'm just excited to see what happens with ducati over the course of this weekend obviously enough over the course of the weekend we'll still have the paddock note show for our patreon supporters on patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast where for ten dollars a month you'll be able to sign up to get the insights from david neil adam and myself over the course of a grand prix weekend you can also sign up to the paddock pass podcast extra tier which is three dollars a month and uh, on this week's extra show we've got neil sitting down for an interview with kevin schwantz you want to give that a listen so from myself steve english adam wheeler neil morris and a big thank you to everyone for listening to today's show and a big thank you to our sponsors fly racing and rent all street this episode of the paddock pass podcast was produced by jensen beeler david emmett steve english neil morrison and adam wheeler it was edited by brian burnett Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. You know, Acosta was actually really strong through... Oh, sorry. Fancy uh, cutting that out. Apologies, lads, from my flatulence. Percy Pig-induced. Yeah.